0: Pulled it off. I'm not even sure how I did it. Some of it was luck, uh, some of it was due to injuries, some of it was due to player aggression, but at the end of the day, I managed to get site experts from Jay's Journal, the two prolific writers across the city on all things Blue Jays. I'm talking about Chris Henderson and Clayton Richey are here with me to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays in a round table format where we talk about the past, the present, and the future. And what it means for you as a committed, passionate fan for 2018 to set the kinds of expectations that are rooted in what we hope will be reality rather than rose-colored fantasy. So I'm not going to delay with a further contributed improvisational monologue. Instead, I will now turn our attention to the best that Jay's Journal has to offer, Clayton Richet and Chris Henderson here on the Jay's Journal podcast. So after many, many repeated efforts to try to bring together my next two guests into a roundtable format that I'm pleased to say you, the listener, will especially enjoy this evening, I'm thrilled to have with me the site experts at Jay's Journal. That's right, Chris Henderson, Clayton Richet, together at the same place at the same time on different phone lines and virtual environments, but here nonetheless on the Jay's Journal podcast. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the show tonight.
1: Thanks for having us, Harry. Pleasure to be here, my friend.
0: So here we are. This season is now officially like looking at the remains of the day. There is no more Blue Jays baseball in 2017. There's some fantastic playoff baseball that we're all enjoying, obviously, and I think we all have a a sweet spot in our hearts uh, for Houston for so many reasons that we can cover later. But for now, let's enjoy the fact that there is nothing but rampant speculation as to what will happen in the future. And I want to start by asking you both, we'll start with you on this one, Play. what were your thoughts about this recent announcement that, that the Jays kind of surreptitiously cleaned house, fired, I think, 22, 23 people in their PR department, and seemed to be reloading for the way that they're going to present, roll out the 2018 mandate when it comes to what this team will look like? What are your impressions of that, and where do you think it will lead them next?
2: Yeah, I didn't really see it coming, and it was sort of just uh, you know something they uh, they did unexpectedly, but... I don't know there's rumblings uh rumblings of a fan fest coming. I seen a tweet the other day about that. Mm. So and they and they obviously had some internal they obviously had some internal issues and I think I think uh communication between a few people. So I think that kind of spearheaded uh spearheaded the moves, but a lot of them were behind the scenes people and it seemed from a few tweets from uh some of the reporters, a couple of them were really respected in uh in their own work and like I said, I think it came to a shock to a lot of people, but yeah, who knows? They haven't really come out and said anything about it after, or what their plans are, and so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, see what happens with it.
0: Chris, do you think there should be damage control in a season where the ball club finishes with seventy six wins and doesn't make the postseason? You know, it's funny.
1: I wrote a little blurb about about um, you know the people that were let go. And I've been meaning to do some more research and just to see, you know, with 23 being the number of people, I think is what it was. Um, You know, there's only a few names in particular that I really read up on. Um, But I felt like something that that, uh, the front office kind of wanted to sweep under the rug in a way. It felt like something that they didn't want to talk about too much. But, um, you know... Whenever the season goes this poorly, there has to be a scapegoat, and uh, you know the coaching staff is returning, the front office is returning, the roster for the most part is going to return. I mean, the guys like Jose Batista and a few others will be gone, but um, you know somebody, I guess in some way, had to take a fall. And the two that were interesting to me were the there was the assistant trainer and the strength coach, and their names escape me at the moment. Um, but just the, some of the comments that Ross Atkins had made, uh, you know, day to year presser. Uh, talking about, the, like you mentioned, Clay, the communication issues that were going on, and, and he kind of took a bit of the the ownership for what went down with some of the injury issues this year as well. So it just makes you wonder, you know, it makes me wonder if they just kind of want to build some of their own departments and maybe get some new names in there. I'm interested to see what kind of impact it does have, because I don't know enough about it yet.
2: Well, I noticed, too, that Pula stayed, so their head trainer stayed. And, yeah. uh, and I think Nikki the... The one that came over from Duke, Stroman's uh, strength and conditioning or rehab coach he had when he was uh, rehabbing. So I think she stayed on right. as well. So, But yeah, it's like I said, it, they did. They just kind of swept it under the rug, and they haven't said too much about it uh, from their end. So.
0: Do you think, Clay, that, uh, that a Brooke Jacoby or a Pete Walker should be on the hook for something when it comes to fans looking for coaching scapegoats? Because clearly they didn't touch the components of their managerial staff are you are you okay with that
2: yeah you know what I think I am um I mean I'm a Gibby fan and you know what I actually really like Pete Walker too and the work he's done I think it was just a case of uh you know too many injuries and and some underachieving and I think maybe the focus has to be more on the players than the coaches at this point
1: and I agree with you, Clayton. I'm, I'm a Giddy fan as well, and I've always been uh, a fan of what Pete Walker's done as well. I think the pitching staff has, has done a lot of great things, even if there was some disappointments this year. Um, but, you know, going back to to Brooks Jacoby, I'm surprised, not that I have any issue with him, but I'm surprised that that, that There hasn't been more ownership put on him, you know, kind of for the um, all or nothing approach that the Blue Jays have employed for a number of years now. And nothing really changed drastically on that front in 2017. And the team was pretty, you know, the coaching staff was pretty open about how they didn't necessarily want to try and make slap singles hitters out of out of power hitters. So I'm surprised that there wasn't a change there. Not necessarily that I was looking for one or that I have a problem with Jacoby, but I, I figured if anyone was going to go, it would probably be somebody in the hitting or on the offensive side anyway.
2: Yeah, at the, at the very least, at least learn how to go the other way when the shift's on. <laughs> like, bunt the yeah. other way or try and, if, if the shift is on, at least go the other way
0: once in a while. So, So let's talk about that because this was, I mean, it's an understatement to say this was a dreadful year offensively. It was uh, catastrophically bad on virtually every front. The team uh, didn't do very well with runners and scoring position. The risk was just in the bottom, maybe I think third worst in the American league. Um, You didn't see a speed game. So there was very rarely any doubles or triples in a game by virtue of players, not having the, the skill or ability to leg it out. And in terms of fundamentals, Clay, you know, you talk about going the opposite way. This was a year where everyone seemed to, Swing at the shoe tops and, and and pray that things would work out, and repeatedly they wouldn't. Uh, unless of course it was Ryan Gones with men on base, but aside from that, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. How is that going to change next year, knowing that these players, for the most part, will be returning and are going to be a year older?
2: They've got they got to get younger, athletic. There's just there's no, and you see it if you you're watching the Houston playoff games. Like they do everything, uh, the Jays don't do uh, the speed element and you know, making those, making those routine plays, but five triples. They have five triples in the entire, the entire season, like oh, last in wow. the majors. What was it? 53 bags. I think they were second last in stolen bases. They had 53 stolen bases. So you couple no triples with no running and yeah, you're handcuffing. You're, you're looking for that big blast. And I think pull upwood Pilar had 15. I think he led the team with 15 stolen bases. Like there's just, you know, and maybe now Hernandez, if he gets a spot, he's athletic, He's got a little bit of speed now the strikeouts are going to be an issue probably because he's he's almost striking out every third at bat but uh i don't know and i guess atkins said they want to bring an impact an impact pitcher and an impact position player you got to figure that position player is going to be is going to be somebody that's uh, athletic and that can can do some damage on the bases
1: yeah, I would hope so. I mean, there's just as we've watched over the last three seasons, even even in the two playoff seasons, it was oh, it was a case of really relying a lot on the long ball. And in 2017, you saw guys regress. Uh, you know, the Jose Bautista played the entire season, and you know, didn't even make 25 home runs and. It just the uh, the power, you know. Chulowski couldn't get on the field, and Russell Martin didn't have the same stick this year. So, I mean, when you when you kind of have down years across the board, for the most part, obviously there are some exceptions, but uh, it just doesn't work. And uh, there
0: needs to be a change of philosophy, at least at least some some balance, anyway. So, I'm hearing not one but two site experts extol the virtues of athleticism. Isn't that basically signaling? Every indication that Anthony Alford should be a focal point in making this team out of spring training.
2: Yeah, I was surprised he wasn't a September call-up to be honest with you. And I know they had mentioned something they, uh, you know, they didn't have enough playing time for everybody. But after his uh, after his first showing at the major league level when he got hurt and he broke his his hamate bone, but I'm I'm surprised they didn't bring him bring him back up and give him a look. But he definitely he definitely
1: fits that mold. Uh, he's definitely that player that the lineup's lacking. Yeah, I think he's exactly the kind of guy that you want. You know, I'm not sure that he's going to be the kind of guy. I agree with you. I was surprised that he didn't get a chance to uh, play in September and kind of show what he was able to do. But I guess the Blue Jays were also protecting some playing time for Batista, which, you know, I suppose that's important as well. But uh, I do think that Alfred is a guy that will be a big impact player for the Blue Jays, but I don't see that happening you know, I, my prediction is that in 2019, Kevin Pilar is playing somewhere else, and Anthony Alford is starting center fielder. But I
0: don't know that it's going to happen
1: until, until then. But that's just a prediction. Who
0: knows? I like it. Wow. It's it's bold, isn't it? Um, I, I think we, we'd love for young players and prospects to get the chance in 2018, but I think all three of us appreciate why Kevin Pillar will be here for at least another year. You look at his season, you look at what 2017 represented for him, just seemed like he was off to such a great start. Everything was going his way. He was very well going to become the Justin Smoke of what ultimately Justin Smoke represented for this year. Uh, Chris, once it went off the rails and he hit 194 between June and July, I think over a 60 day period, do you officially rule him out as someone who could be considered a legitimate starting center fielder knowing that he's so inconsistent and aside from the plus D, which reached a, a low, a new low even for him this year. Does it make sense to continue with him even in 2018? I, you know what? I
1: I think I have a little bit more optimistic view of him than a lot of people do. And I, I see a, a major league lineup. You know, if you have a guy who can still be an elite center fielder on the defensive side and be serviceable mm. at the plate and hit nine from the lineup, then I think there's a place for a guy like that. Now, how much longer Pilar is even going to be able to provide that? Well, it remains to be seen. You know, his route running was a little bit slower this year, or there is uh, t- time to the ball. You know, there was signs of regression, uh, mostly in the speed department, in the outfield, and that can be a result of running face-first into brick walls. Like, that's, you know, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. But, you know, if he can, you know, if his plateau is as a number nine hitter and as a plus uh, defensive center fielder, then there's there's room for that, but his career is going to be pretty short unless he learns how to hit at a much better level than he is now. And, you know, I had an awful lot of faith in him coming into this season, but I, I'm starting to accept that maybe he's the, the fourth outfielder type or the the guy that's going to be in out of baseball in his mid to early 30s.
2: Well, and it's almost the tale of two seasons with him. Like, at the beginning of the year, you thought, okay, he's finally put it together. He's not, yeah. he's not chasing. He's not... And then, and then the middle of the year, he's back to swinging at three pitches that weren't strikes and striking out and walking back to the dugout. And you're like, what happened? And then near the end, he sort of put the, put it back together again. So, I I got a soft spot for him just because he's such a gamer and like you, like you said, Chris, will run through a brick wall and get up and fix his hat and he's ready to go and there's no complaining and he's just you know defensively he's a he's a joy to watch out there and you got to respect you got to respect the game he plays. But yeah, it's. I don't know how someone can look so good and then look so bad in the next breath. It's it's got to
1: be frustrating. When you hit the nail on the head for me. It's all about chasing pitches. When he has patience at the plate, he's a, he's an asset. He's got some speed on the on the paces, and he's he's one of the few guys that can take the ball the other way. He was doing that very well in April. You know, when he was moved up to the top of the lineup, he was routinely slapping the ball to through the right side of the infield, and it was exciting to see somebody do it. But uh, like you said, you know June, July rolled around, and suddenly he decided that he liked those outside sliders that were in the dirt, and and I, it just gave me visions of my favorite player ever, Joe Carter, who would make me so happy and so crazy in the same day, <laughs> the swinging the bat <laughs> and blowing away slider. And it's, uh, but that's Kevin Flaher's issue, and, and and unless he finds a way to to rectify that, then I don't think he's going to have a starting job for any more than a few more seasons. But you never know. There's been guys that have taken off in their late twenties or early thirties. Uh, in our organization, so maybe he puts it all together next year. Well,
2: and you, you got to figure if there's somebody who's going to bust his butt in the off season and try to get better, it's probably him. So
0: that's it's true. not going to be that for a
2: true. lack of trying.
0: And no, you know, to his credit, to his credit, uh, Chris, I, I also lived in and died through those. Uh, hook swings of his trying to chase an outside low pitch and, and if, if we have a chance to have joe carter on the show during the offseason I'll, I'll of course bring that point up uh, he, he would miss them by about a foot and a half and what, what we would make that's what essentially made it entertaining whereas pilar to his credit has enough bat control that he fouls off really bad pitches but i think that's what frustrates us collectively the fact that he he doesn't have the discipline he's got the talent demonstrated in the minor leagues that he was, I think, a 315 career, 318 career minor league hitter. So the issue isn't that he has a, a, an inability to execute the fundamentals. It's just for whatever reason, there's no consistency there. And this, this year was essentially a nightmare in that regard for the inconsistency of players. And if we accept that the 2018 season begins with Kevin Pillar in center field and we assume the return of Steve Pierce in left, um, because I have this feeling that, that Gibby and, and Schapkin have convinced themselves that if he's healthy, he's, he's a better option for them in left field, which isn't the worst thing in the world. But then we aren't going to get more than one rookie in the outfield. So does that mean that a Hernandez or an Alfred might be, you know, left on the outside looking in, Chris? You know, I think they both will to
1: start the year. And it's obviously going to depend on – what kind of acquisitions they can make in the off season. You know, I've, I've talked about this in some articles in the past little while, but there's no position to put a new player. If everybody's healthy, I think the blue Jays are going to shore up their depth in the middle infield and bring in somebody that's almost like a third starter type, or at least I hope they will. But if Devin Travis and George Lewitsky are healthy, you've got your middle infield, you've got Donaldson and smoke and, and Russell Martin in the infield. And if you have Pearson Hernandez, and Morales, that leaves right field. So, to me, I think I would be surprised if they relied on that one open spot um, for a rookie. Not because I don't think Hernandez is capable or Alfred is capable, but I think that uh, at this point, I think they are going to chase some somebody to bring into that position. Unless, of course, they make a trade, which I think is equally, if not more so likely.
0: These, these names, as you roll them off, slow, zero athleticism. Even <laughs> anticipating a healthy Troy Whiskey and a healthy Russell Martin is not infusing us with the kind of enthusiasm we look for. I think, Clay, it goes without saying, if this team doesn't find a way to get younger and more athletic, is there any reason in your mind to believe that we won't have a complete repeat, if not worsening scenario for next year when it comes to a long 162-game season?
2: Yeah, and I, 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 I don't think that they, they go into next year uh, status quo. I really don't, and I know Atkins last year, his off-season wish list was athleticism and and to get younger, and he couldn't do it. So I think after now not making the playoffs and sitting in the basement for, I guess the entire year except the last day, uh, I think mm-hmm. now he I think he's going to strike early. I think he's going to he he's got no choice, and whether it's you bring in an Eduardo Nunez to play second. I don't know who's a free agent, but and it's tough because you're stuck with Tulo. But between him and Travis, they played 116 games last year between yeah. the two of them. So, you know what? Uh, you, they're in a, they're in a tough spot. They're like you got to rely on them, but you can't rely on them. You're financially committed to Tulo. Yeah. yeah. But and, and Travis is Travis is a key part of that lineup, and they're such a much better team when he's on and he's healthy. And he looks like a seasoned vet at the plate. and But again, and now they're saying yeah. they can't guarantee he'll be healthy for his entire career. So it's got to be tough to plan. True. And then yeah. how do you do you bring in a – if you bring in a Nunez now you're paying top dollar for a guy that – do you need him? or We're not sure. We might need him. Like, it, it's got to be a tough situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, as much as it, it's – This offseason is going to be so interesting, especially because of that middle infield position. You know, Devin Travis, if you wanted to rectify the situation where you weren't going in with Tulowitzki and Travis, two question marks, can you trade Devin Travis right now and get anything back? I don't think so. I mean, he's an extremely talented player, but if I were a rival GM, I wouldn't be paying much for him. And Troy Tulowitzki's contract makes him virtually untradeable, unless, of course, you want to eat a bunch of money. So you're right. You're stuck in a position where you you have to roll with those two guys and, unless you want to eat a bunch of money. But you all, if you want to be competitive, you I think you have to bring somebody in. I think a guy like Jed Lowry, he's not an he's not an ideal solution shortstop, but I think he made like four million this year in Oakland, or maybe it was six million, um, yeah. somewhere in that range. And he, you know, he's got an option for one more year with the A's. So you know, if the A's decide to exercise that, he, he's the type of guy that is at least capable of starting, you know, with all due respect to Darwin Barney and Ryan Goins, we need somebody who can provide some sort of offensive threat. Uh, Cause we know that, that we're not going to have help from the middle infield for the entire year. We have to have somebody in there that can do it. And the kids aren't ready either.
2: Don't say the Ryan thing- Goins isn't coming back. They're going to start a riot.
0: <laughs>
1: well, <Yeah. laughs>
0: boy, he, he he really went out of his way, didn't he? To enamor himself with the Toronto faithful, I mean, uh, you know, 60, I think 60 plus RBI or 57 RBI, in 90% of them when it mattered. And sadly, it masked the what, as you mentioned, uh, Chris, the the reality that these are not players that you want to see too much of. I mean, they're great as as depth teammates, and and they were very effective in in 20 at the you know at the end of 2015 and in parts of 2016, but this year exposed the fact that. What was really astonishing was how flat footed the organization was in finding acceptable major league pieces to replace broken ones for a frustrated fan base. I mean, I've never seen a year with such a cavalcade of retreads and reclamation projects and controversy, riddled, smelly odored players. You know, what? whether it was Montero, whether it was Ref Snyder. You know, whether it was the, the rotating, uh, you know, the dancing, what I call backup catchers, because there were about seven or eight of them, you know, whether it was having to, to dip into someone else's farm system into their, you know, single A level to get someone that was a major leaguer six years ago. Clay, <laughs> what did it tell you that this team was so ill-prepared? Is that, is that really on, on the organization, the current management, or, or is it maybe looking at the legacy that was created from the previous Anthopolis regime?
2: Yeah, and I I don't know if it's just desperation. And when you lose Sanchez for the year, you lose Tulo, you lose Travis. You got Liriano on the DL. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got Donaldson and Martin Hurt at different times. Yeah, is it just desperation? And you don't have that – you don't have those major league ready guys in Buffalo that you can look to. All your prospects are kind of a couple years away. But you're right, they definitely – they uh, they searched every nook and cranny trying to find, like, you know, ah, Montero, let's bring him on. So, what do you, I don't know. Hey They've got to do something, and they're not, I don't envy them. I really don't. Like, they're in a tough, they're in a tough, <laughs> tough spot, and whether or not they're going to do something big and make a huge trade and
1: no, I, I was. It's funny you kind of bring this up because I was looking at the Dodgers and their roster and everybody who played this year, and I think they were one of the only teams, if not the only team, that had more injuries than the Blue Jays this year. I could be way off base on that, but I seem to remember reading something about that on Twitter. But anyway, you, you know, you look at the guys that came up in their system and contributed, the young guys, and the Blue Jays just didn't have that, you know. And I think it's, you know, as far as being ill prepared this year, I think it's a reflection of both. Front office groups, you know, obviously Anthopolis made some significant trades in 2015 that would have provided the team with some extra arms that would have been maybe capable of filling those spots starts so we wouldn't have to turn to guys like Matt Latos and whatever else we threw out there at times. But, uh, you know, in the same breath, I also think that, um, you know, going into a season with that kind of veteran roster, um they were spoiled in the rotation in 2016 with the lack of injuries, and this year it was exposed with the lack of depth. It was almost as if they felt that they could, they could get that again, and uh, they clearly didn't. I mean, you know, you mentioned Liriano and Sanchez and Jay Happ missed time, and Estrada was inconsistent, and and uh, you know, Stroman was the only guy out of that big five that was supposed to be all great this year that actually did what he was supposed to or exceeded it. So that uh, that ruins things in a hurry. <laughs> As you're saying that,
2: I'm watching Brennan Morrow dealing on the mound for the Dodgers right now.
1: <laughs> well, there <laughs> he you looks go. Nasty. That's story, yeah. <laughs> he looks nasty. So, yeah. Looks nasty. i was thinking of like guys like Chris Taylor, you know, like
2: yeah. Who would have predict predicted him? Yeah.
1: And you know, and the Cody Bellingers, who yeah, he's a good prospect, but nobody expected that, you know. And meanwhile, we're bringing up whatever <laughs> <laughs> <And> Casey Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With all the respect,
0: Casey. (laughs) You know, you you mentioned these players that, when called upon, that you need in moments like this. I mean, Clay, you you rolled off all the injuries, and there were, I think, 25, 26 players on the DL this year. Record numbers, even though if we look deeper at the comparative numbers, uh, there were other teams that also struggled. You know, Boston had a lot of injuries as well, but they managed to... You know, assuage them in a manner that allowed their fans to see that they were still competing, even when there was some concern, if you recall at the end of July, whether or not they would be a contending team as they struggled. The Blue Jays never even reached that point where we could ask ourselves, will they be a contending team? In fact, I think you, you, you both will agree that the media campaign was so convincing and persuasive that we had the whole city still thinking at the end of August that there was a shot at the wild card, when anyone who knew anything from just empirical observation, could see this team didn't have the propulsion it needed. It didn't have that uh, that little extra je ne sais quoi that was going to get them over the hump and into the hearts of the minds of the fans. Uh, Clay, at what point this year did you resign yourself to the fact that you didn't think this was going to happen and that we were in trouble in that respect when it came to an aging roster?
2: I don't know. I, I think I always had like like you said, you saw the the inconsistencies and you seen the. Uh, the issues that we had, but they never strung off a winning streak, and it almost seemed like that. Yeah, surely they had to jump five or six teams in the wild card race, but they were they were in within striking distance, and they never they never went on a twelve or fifteen game run. Like I don't know what their if their longest winning streak was maybe five or six games. I'm guessing, but I, it's not very long. Yeah. So, so I think that was sort of my problem. Is I knew I knew they weren't good enough to get there. But neither were the teams that they had to jump. You knew the Baltimore's weren't going to stick around, and in Tampa, and so you just sort of waited. Like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna reel off twelve here. They're gonna they're gonna win fifteen, and we're gonna get back into it. But yeah, they never did. And and again, like you said, you look at the teams in the postseason right now that are still remaining, and you see a big difference between their lineups and what they can do compared to the you know the Jays waiting for the home run.
1: Yeah, 100%. And to me, they, they made me into almost, forgive the term, I was almost bipolar this year because in April I had written them off and was angry and barely wanted to turn the TV on. And then May I was, you know, arguing with people that they were going to contend again. And, and just as you said, Clayton, you know, it was, I mean, the Minnesota Twins made the playoffs, I mean, to, it's it's to me that was like the the ray of hope the entire time. It was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, there you know there was teams under 500 that were still in the second playoff fit, this position at times in the year. So there was always like a just a kind of shaking my head and banging my head on the wall, going, "What? Like we can't get to 500 and pass the Twins? Like, come on." <laughs> like,
0: name,
1: like, you know, name. Ten players on the Twins roster. Name five players on the Twins roster, yeah. the average person. You know, and meanwhile our team of former All Stars is sitting in last place all season. So I I, yeah. I there were times even in August where I I told myself it was still possible, but yeah, I don't know.
2: Well when you gotta write about a team every day, you need to be an eternal optimist because it's gonna yeah. be a long season. A long season writing articles about a team you
0: <laughs> you think is finished. So I think that was part of well, it too. That's a valid point. <laughs> and, and, and you both you both have written so much and 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 have such a such an expanded perspective than the average fan because of your ability to to analyze what you see in front of your very own eyes and and early on when it was clear that players began getting hurt how frustrating was it chris to see that those that were still battling in the fray were proceeding to have the absolute career worst output they've ever had. I mean, I think we had four or five position players with negative wars, which to me is an astonishing stat, because you at least have to figure that if you're healthy for 140 to 150 games, that you can produce enough to contribute, whether you're making $11 million or $20 million a year. When the triumvirate went down within similar time of each other, that being... um Donaldson uh, to and Martin did you just kind of stop and and say to yourself, how are we supposed to recover from this? Where's the, where's the magical bullet that's going to fly in uh, as a competent backup catcher or a capable second baseman or an effective shortstop. We we didn't see that all year as fans, did we? No. And you know what? I was one of the people that was,
1: there was a late believer in Justin Smoke and what he could do. And, you know, I remember watching games in late April and thinking, I'm waiting for Justin smoke and Kevin Pilar to be the spark or in May or in June. And I'm just kind of shaking my head going, well, what, what has happened <laughs> here? I'm getting excited when Justin smokes in the on deck circle, you know, now my perspective's changed a little bit. I'm a more of a believer now, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The guys that, that were hurt were significant and the ones that remained Batista had a horrific year, you know, he was healthy. So that was great. But, uh, man, I mean, it was it was really tough to watch at times. You said that with a
2: well, dry th- response. I'm you know, yeah, he was healthy. <laughs> there's
0: no arguing the one thing that we saw was that he was perfectly healthy. He <laughs> <Sorry>. was healthy. <laughs> so
1: that was nice. He was, he played 154 games or whatever it was. Oh,
0: my Goodness, how do you set our franchise record for the lowest batting average to four years? It's a considerable sample size that for you the legendary player is gonna be on the level of excellence will go down in history as having the worst statistical season as a blue jay. And
2: and the franchise record for most tragos.
0: Oh boy, that's right. <laughs> the good old one two. There you go. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you know what? I I think I wrote something in the spring anointing Rowdy Talese, uh, over smoke and had about six options for smoke that didn't did not involve being a part of the Jays so I'm as guilty as the next guy for Justin so but what can but, you do and you know what you look you look at Sanchez I mean how frustrating was that It's not only is he yeah, hurt boy. but it's 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 something that seems so minor and you think mm-hmm. okay he's back now we're gonna get rolling and then he's looking at his finger three innings in and he's done again like it's not an arm issue it wasn't a shoulder issue issue you're thinking okay, it's just a blister, a couple of weeks, and they will have this cleared up. Like, And it just never, never did. And right there, like, what kind of hold did that leave our rotation?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Clay, if you were to ask, if you were to tell me that before this season started, Francisco Liriano would be a colossal bust and, and be gone by May, and uh, Estrada would be ineffective for about two and a half, three months, have a nine ERA in June, and Hap would be injured and miss a third of the season, and Sanchez would not be able to start consistently. Could you argue that finishing with 76 wins is actually impressive in that regard? What an absolute disaster on the pitching. Well, and,
2: that, and that's sort of my take on, you know, giving a mulligan to Gibby on, on the season. Yeah. In, what, 2016, I think he used seven different starters, and I think last time I looked, we were at 14 this year. So... <laughs> Hey, just tale yeah, the tale of two
1: seasons, seasons, right? Yeah, in 2016, I'm sure. they used uh, Liriano when he came over, and Dickey, of course, with the other guys, and then Drew Hutchinson made like two or three starts, and otherwise it yeah. was those guys. So it was, yeah, it was a definitely definitely a different year. I agree with you 100. percent I mean, uh, gave you the, you know as much as you can criticize things throughout the year. Um, I'm not sure what people can expect when when you're missing that much time from significant rotation members and Sanchez in particular. You know, you look at the Twins won eighty five games, and you got to think that having Sanchez in the rotation for the entire course of the year adds an extra five or six wins. So now we're only a few mm-hmm. games back. You at know, least, That changes yep. the entire dynamic of the season. Yeah, it really does. It, it puts you in a position where you're a buyer at the deadline instead, or you, you know, your your players are motivated and excited and believe rather than than dragging themselves out to the field when when they know the season's over.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I. Like you said it just between the underachieving and the injuries. I think you just gotta you gotta just pack it away and hope they can make a few changes and get a little younger and and go from there.
0: So uh, it would be easy for us to continue being negative or commiserating about all the things that didn't go well from the pitching staff, but there were some great stories. And of course, the one that needs to be talked about when remembering the 2017 season was the performance of Marcus Stroman. I mean, I think you'll both agree he was absolutely lights out. Uh, Everything you could ask for, 200 innings, a six-war clutch in all the big games. Probably would have finished close to 20, maybe 17, 18 wins if the bullpen didn't keep repeatedly blowing it, especially the middle relievers. And yet, somehow he only managed one team MVP vote when they took that poll after the last game a few weeks ago. Um, I think 38 went to Justin Smoke, one went to Donaldson, and one went to Kendris Morales, which I jokingly said was from his mom because I'm not quite sure why anyone would vote for Kendris unless, of course, it was Kendris. Um, but in the case of Mark, he, he voted for himself. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. You know, I'm going to put aside my scorn and contempt for why that is. I think we all can sometimes read between the lines and know that there are certain players who are more popular than others. Obviously, Smokey... Had a, had a great five five and five months or excuse me yeah five months and maybe one week because we all know the last three weeks that that horrible Justin smoke the you know the, the kind of bizarro one like when C- Captain Kirk fought his bizarro twin I don't know what that was it was tough to watch. But watching Marcus was an absolute pleasure. Chris, what's your conclusion after watching that? Do you look at that and say, wow, good for you. In an arbitration year where you had to go and fight over $485,000 during the winter, you showed this organization that you are the real deal. You are this team's leader.
1: Yeah, I think he took a serious step forward. You know, obviously, obviously he's, he's proved his worth. Um, to, I mean... Um, entire spate of ways. You know, the, thing, the biggest thing is that he put the injury stuff behind him. You know, 2015, he missed all but, I think, six starts. And the first half of – sorry, I think 2015, rather. Uh, 2016, he wasn't himself in the first half. And we saw a good Marcus Stroman in the second half of 2016, but we saw the real deal in 2017. And as good as I think Aaron Sanchez can be, I think Marcus Stroman is the kind of guy that you want to be leading your staff. You know, the kind of energetic guy that wants the ball every every five days and then is going to go out there and give his best effort every single time. I know there's tons of guys out there that would fit that description, but he just has that sort of it quality that, um, you know, that, is, that makes a star. And uh, to me, I was surprised there wasn't more team, team MVP votes for him. But in the same breath, I think that's also a product of nobody expected Smoke to be anywhere near what he was. So sometimes you get uh, some rose-colored glasses when, when people that perform like they weren't expected to. And
2: I think that's just it with the vote. I think people expected that performance from Strowman. Or I think a lot of people, even on the team, are surprised at what Smokey did, especially after how bad he looked last season. But for Strowman, it started with the World Baseball Classic. He did it globally. Yeah. He put himself on a national stage. Yeah. And you got people in the States and everywhere else wearing Strowman jerseys. You see the kid pitch, you love him. The swagger, the confidence, the—he's a gamer. He's and and yeah, it's exciting to think if you have a, a healthy Sanchez, those those guys is your one-two. And then you know if you have Happ and Estrada who are pitching like they can, now your your rotation is back to looking pretty pretty legit.
1: Well, Storm sure is the kind of guy that you know, and I always love these players when they're on my team. I think back to Darcy Tucker, and I loved Darcy Tucker, but I'm a Leafs fan. And my friends hated him, and I understood it. And I, and I know that my buddies that cheer for the Red Sox and the Yankees, they hate Marcus Stroman. Uh, and it's because they're, have their team, he, you know, he performs well against their team. But there's plenty of people that do like him. But I just love that swagger, like you said, Clayton, that, uh, you know, he brings to the ballpark, he believes in himself, and uh, he's going to give to 100, 110% every time he gets the ball.
2: Well, and you watch him even in the dugout. He just seems, you know, he's a good teammate. You can tell he's he's horsing around. He's saddled up next to Batista. He's, yeah, he just looks like a really good teammate. And and he just brings it on the field with him. It's, it's exciting to watch for sure.
0: I, I fear I'm going to have to call out Chris on the Darcy Tucker recollection. Because uh, <laughs> as great as he was, as, as great as he was for, for the Maple Leafs, uh, he was nowhere near the player that he was before they acquired him.
1: Um, oh, no, 100%. You recall,
0: with, <laughs> I just love With, Tampa, how you get under with the Tampa Bay stand. Lightning, you, exactly. You remember with the Tampa Bay Lightning, he was not just an agitator, but but he seemed to be evolving as a player. And sometimes when you come to a big market, some players become comfortable. Others use it as an opportunity, as a springboard to get better. Look at Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson played in Oakland. Nobody really paid attention. He quietly went about becoming, in the span of two years, an MVP caliber player. And finally, the trade to Toronto comes, and now he blossoms in full blue. And, of course, I've steered our conversation in this direction because this is going to be, I think, the number one concern <laughs> for fans of the Blue Jays. And having you know, both side experts here, I'm going to take full advantage. We're going to start with you on this one. Start with Chris on this one when it comes to Josh Donaldson. Simply put, should the Blue Jays sign him or trade him and get resources? What do you think?
1: I would personally, I would sign him and to make a hour long um, you know, description of why I think that's the case into a very short description. I think that um, given the pitchers that we've talked about and that kind of core that's already exists in Toronto and the exciting prospects that are coming down the pipeline, I feel like he's the kind of... Player that can br- help bridge that gap uh, in Toronto. I, f- I don't feel like the team is going to give up on 2000 and, uh, 2018. And I feel like they're going to try and be competitive and I feel like trading Donaldson is something that you would do if you were going to tear some things down and I don't think they're going yeah. to. I feel like the bridge can be, can be they can at least be competitive with the existence of that second wild card until the next, until the next group comes along which is why I believe that they should sign him. Yeah, I agree. I
2: uh, yeah, I I want him to stick around, and I know you're gonna get a couple bad years probably at the end of the deal, but uh, he's a type of player that comes around once a decade. Um, again, you're talking about swagger and what he brings. He and you've seen it the last second half, well, the sec pretty much the entire second half of the season. Like he can carry a team on his back. The numbers he can put up. Uh, he's Again, when he's when he's healthy, his defense is great and and he's got that same he's that same mold as Strowman that run through a wall uh, for his teammates and like I said, he's got confidence. I yeah, I d I don't think I don't think you let him go. And especially especially you lead the league in the American League in attendance and you spent the entire year in the basement. So I don't know if that'll yeah. play into it if they're but the fans are here. The fans are coming out to the park. What do you show them if you you ship Donaldson off and don't want to commit to him financially because of money? Like I, yeah. I don't know. I, I it's not my money. I'll donate an extra dollar a month on my Rogers bill if that's what it takes. I'm sure four million other people will too. So get it done. Get it done. Well, Keep them around.
0: <laughs> well, that yeah. I, I appreciate your sentiment because as someone who went on national radio in back-to-back weekends to extol that same virtue, that that same um, perspective that you have as to why it's important to keep him. Uh, I've taken a beating from people who think that it's a betrayal in investing and building a team properly. And they use that classic argument, Clay, of looking across the street and seeing the Toronto Maple Leafs with all their young players uh, evolving before our very own eyes while being competitive and the questions become, well, why can't the Blue Jays develop a strategy? And we all know it's not easy to do that when you inherit another regime, uh, an administration that was so unique for what it was in, during the Anthopolis era, which was a willingness to deal resources to get primetime players. We know Shapiro shouldn't be characterized as the exact opposite because he has demonstrated when he led the Cleveland Indians for a good stretch of the better part of the 2000s that he was always willing to make and sign the big player if it contributed to the long-term goal of winning. So you believe in that regard, fans should be thinking to themselves, investing in a 31-year-old Josh Donaldson is perhaps the only logical thing to do right now, knowing that there isn't a cavalry on the horizon.
2: Yeah, and I guess, I mean, your your next guy is going to be Glady, right? Mm-hmm. And there's talk that Glady can maybe play a corner outfield position. But I, I think you cross that bridge, you know. When 2019 comes along, you cross that bridge then. And whether, you're not, whether you move Donaldson to a different position or whether Glady starts taking some reps in the outfield, if they do
1: sign him, I
2: think, you know, anything can happen in the next two years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned, Clay, that i think is important is that it, you know with the next donaldson contract there's a good chance that whether he's in toronto or somewhere else that the the last year or two or hopefully not longer than that but there's a good chance that you're going to be overpaying for an old player at some point in a contract like that but i had a discussion with a couple of friends over the weekend too about russell martin and they were you know talking about their frustrations with having to pay him so much right now and i look at Signing Russell Martin is a crucial turning point in this franchise, and I would do that over again a hundred times out of a hundred myself. And as much as uh, you know, having a guy that's that's having a tough time staying healthy now at the end of his contract, he's making a bunch of money. He's, he was huge in getting the Blue Jays to the playoffs in 2015 and 16. And I also think he was absolutely instrumental in the development of some of these young pitchers like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez and Roberto Ursuna and others. And so I think when you have the right guy, and I think Donaldson is the right guy, and I think Russell Martin was the right guy, then I think you have to spend it. And knowing that you're going to have a time later on where you're like, this doesn't feel so good now, but it was worth it from what we got before.
2: I agree with you. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge Martin supporter and I'm with you. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And like you said, he brings so much stuff that you can't put a statistical value to the stuff he brings to the pitching staff and the leadership qualities. And yeah, I I agree with you. He was instrumental and I think he still will be instrumental, but I do it again as well. A hundred times. Well,
0: this was a tough year to be a, a sports writer who, who follows this team and, Both of you site experts obviously have a a unique perspective because it wasn't only articles that you were offering for our our listeners and, and fans and followers of the website to appreciate, but there was also the writing team that we had, and this was a tough year for them to cover the team, let's face it, it was a heck of a lot more interesting in, in, at the second stage At the second half, rather, of 2015 and, and through various 2016 You know, even though, if you think back 2016 was a, an incredibly uneven season. I mean, it came with the last game To see if you could get the second card spot Let's not romanticize What 2016 was So really, Chris, could you make the Argument that aside from that magical month Of September Have fans really gotten ahead of themselves And the expectations of this team Knowing its limitations now could they could very well,
1: you know, and I often find myself wondering if how how rose-colored my glasses are with this team because you know as Clayton mentioned early on when you're when you're writing about a team pretty much every day, uh, it gets very defeating very quickly to start saying negative things on a daily basis and you start feeling crappy about yourself and your own life. And so it is, it is fun or it's, it's, it's easier and on the soul and on the mind to to look for the bright spots in the organization. So I often wonder if I'm seeing more in these guys that, uh, than the rest of the baseball world does. But I know that being in Toronto, you know, in, the, in Canadian market, um, we have players that don't get the recognition that they should, you know, you mentioned earlier on how Marcus Stroman on the world stage was performing for team USA. And I think that was, that was phenomenal for his career arc for a number of ways. Um, you know, and then obviously following up with the performance of this year uh, was huge as well, but I don't know. It's, it depends on who you talk to as far as, is um, what what they believe as far for the future with this team. Uh, you know, I talked to some people, and they think that, that they'll, no problem they're going to be in the mix next year, and then the other half, again, kind of like the Ryan Cohen situation, the other half is going, <laughs> oh, <on>, they're <laughs> going to be worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I tend to be an optimist. I think that we can, at the worst, we should be able to compete for the second wild card next year. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh,
2: again, you gotta you got to look at the injuries. If we if we're healthy and you you make a few changes, you insert a little bit of a uh, little bit of speed in the lineup. Can we give up on genie as a starter and just throw him back in the bullpen and maybe sign a good another arm? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm for that. I'd like to I'd like to see yeah I'd like to give up on the I I don't know what it is his ERA was on his starts I think he was five point seven something in games that he started and back to four or something when he relieves. So I don't know. He he didn't show me much. Uh and I and I like our rotation. If you add another pitcher or you add another free agent pitcher with a healthy Sanchez and Strowman and, and if a strata can rebound like he sort of did at the end of the year. Uh yeah, I like our chances. Again it's gonna come down to health. I think that's what we can't we can't be using fourteen pitchers, fourteen different
1: starting yeah.
0: pitchers in a season. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I'll tell you, I'll put you on the spotlight yet again. Why don't, you give me the, the, why don't you give me Clayton's list of the top three pitchers and the top three position players that you'd like to see hauled up as reinforcements? Give, give me the three players you'd like to see on both sides make an appearance next year to at least give you reason to think that there's a chance to see nice, young, fresh, athletic players showing up on that field instead of reclamation projects and aging, regressive personnel.
1: Uh,
2: arms. There's not, I mean, other guests than Ryan Barecki uh, Reed Foley and Connor green sort of took a step back. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this Nate Pearson. They just got, but he's going to be a few years away, but he was yeah. dominant. He was dominant with Vancouver. And I think he's someone who could shoot through the, he could shoot through the ranks fairly quick, but it definitely won't be this year. Um, position wise. Uh, I think obviously we've got Hernandez and Alford, I think it's 2019 before we see the uh, the dynamic duo. As much as everybody wants to see them, I, I think they're going to take their time with them. Uh, Danny Jansen, I think probably starts in AAA. He's only got, I think, 20, 20 games or 20 something games in AAA. So I I figured they'll they'll start him in AAA and they'll sign a a new backup. Mm-hmm. But those those are some exciting. And, and again, Dalton Pompey, where does he fit in the picture? He's sort of that the forgotten, missing, the missing link, yeah.
0: But everything you,
2: everything you look for is kind of what Pompey is, right? He's athletic, he's, he's got are.
0: speed. Chris, I'm wondering if these reinforcements don't prove to be effective, and and I hate to say it, but the way you talked about this pitchers, Clay didn't exactly loan any enthusiasm to the argument because we know it's really lean on the pitching side. Yeah, some positional players will show up, but if something happens, Estrada, hap more injuries... A little player regression, it could be a disaster. Chris, if the re- reinforcements don't show up and get the job done, will the fans respond? In your opinion, in terms of whether they show up to the park, whether they subscribe to the services, or will will the front office take advantage of them again and basically then halfway through the year argue, "Hey, don't worry, we didn't exactly expect very much, but get ready for 2019 for the dynamic duo." I think it's a dangerous
1: game for the front office right now. You know, we've talked about it several times throughout the year on this podcast, with the Raptors being as competitive as they have been, with with Maple Leafs surging and and being one of the most talked-about teams in the NHL. front office, if they want the fans to buy in and continue to support the team the way that they have for the last three years, like, it was mind-blowing that they led the American League in attendance and that they were in last place until the last day of the season. That just blows my mind. And that's not going to happen again if they're they're in last Mm -hmm. place, you know. I just think the fan base will check out halfway through the year if this team isn't competitive. And that's something that it takes a long time to get get the fan base to come out. I mean, think about the 2000s and the early early part of this decade and the numbers that we saw at the Rogers Centre. It wasn't pretty at times. And it's not going to just take, oh, hey, well, guess what? Vladimir is here now. Well, yeah, that's it. Until the team starts competing, they don't care if there's a star player. Carlos Delgado played to a lot of empty stadiums throughout the course of his career. Roger, you know, Roy Halladay pitched a lot of games to Mm half-empty Rogers Center.
2: Although the beer lineups were a lot shorter then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Plus, you could get away with a lot more back then, right, when it came to being rowdy in the stands. Now it's, uh, it's a very different atmosphere, different environment. It's catered towards young millennial fans. And the thing with young millennial fans is they don't have as long a memory to appreciate when an organization is, quote, pulling a fast one. Does that worry you, Clay, that this product, which is so near and dear so many fans' hearts, and it's something that we're inspired by because of our love and passion for baseball. Do you see this organization as thinking it might get a little bit too clever for its own good, and then as Chris mentioned, when people start showing up and knowing that there will be complete and utter uncertainty in 2019, because let's face it, there's never a sure thing, even with the lead prospect. Some of them struggle. Delgado got sent down. Roy Halladay had to rebuild his whole approach to pitching before he became the best pitcher in the uh, in the game. Are you concerned that this organization really drops the ball, and then we find ourselves going through yet a long, another long stretch of uh, of no playoff baseball?
2: I think they realize, but again, I'm with Chris. I would have never the beginning of the year. I would have never bet that we'd lead the league in in attendance or the American League in attendance where we were in the in the basement. Like I, I would have thought the bandwagon fans would have jumped off midway through, and you know we'd be back to eighteen thousand in the in the dome with the way they played, but. You know what they they should be proud they stuck with them and obviously that shows that shows that it's uh it's a they've got a love for the game and and they're not just going to be fair weather fans they're going to show up and they're going to cheer and and there are a lot of likable players on this team like the josh hong the strowman's the russell martins years past there was you know you you look down the lineup and you might might pick one guy that you kinda of like, Yeah, I really took a liking here, I'd like to wear his jersey, but like here you you know, the Pilars, the, the there's more than a handful, you know, the Osunas, the Sanchezes, so yeah. I think that's part of it. But I I I know. they're in a tough spot but they gotta keep trudging on. There's too many young guys on this team to tear it down. Like the key pieces are in place, the Strowman's the Sanchez, Osuna. So yeah. I think I think they see that. I think they I think uh, the fans coming out was was a positive, and yeah, hopefully they reciprocated and, and they invest in, in guys like Donaldson, and they bring that impact position player and that impact pitcher that Atkins said is on the to-do list.
1: Yeah, I think they have to invest in, in next year, you know, because let's paint a worst-case scenario picture. Let's say they come out and they do nothing this offseason, they come back, same team, same results. Well, Josh Donaldson's either getting traded or he's going elsewhere after the season. 2019 rules around Jay Happ and Marcus or and Marco Estrada are gone. Uh, you know, if, if Sanchez can't get healthy, now you're left with one realistic major league arm, and Tred Ujwalski and Russell Martin getting paid 20 million at the end of their careers. And
0: <laughs> what's left? Jeez.
1: So, I mean, you you have to do you have to bridge that gap, or you are you are seriously setting yourself up for a couple of quiet years. I think anyway.
0: Well, and just by the tone of your voice, it's again not leaving me. With a great sense of confidence When it comes to the ravages of time The way the game is played A lot of these players just flat out looked old When they were playing healthy And then when they were injured And it took a long time to recover And and given the kind of weird strange occurrences That happen throughout the course of, the, of this regular season I think fans appreciate that this is a write-off. Fine, this didn't go as planned. But I don't think they'll appreciate if there's a repetition in 2018. And, And it won't be the same. We know that baseball evens itself out. We knew that in 2016, with everyone being healthy on the starting staff, we were due for a year where everybody was basically broken. Hopefully, if they're somewhere in the middle, and have some kind of depth and a plan in place to give fans a reason to show up to see competitive baseball, then we won't have a a mutiny on our hands that could lead to all sorts of fan frustration and problems when it comes to appreciating what baseball in Toronto is really all about. Gentlemen, this round table has been absolutely brilliant and fantastic. I know I always say that about all the round (laughs) here, But since you represent what I like to call the first ever site expert Um, edition of the show you know this is like an international moment we're going to keep doing this obviously i'm going to start with you chris talk about what you've been working on how uh, listeners of the show can follow you during the off season um, and knowing that you will be on the show very soon maybe talk about what you've got on the horizon
1: yeah, that's us uh, you know, I'm, just as you asked me that, I feel like I'm playing for a minute to go, wait a minute, what have I been writing lately? <laughs> um, you know, we started a year review series uh, at jaysjournal.com. Uh, you can find my work there, Clayton's work there, and we've got a great stable of writers um, that contribute on a daily and weekly basis. Um, but uh, you know what, I'm not even, I have a few ideas sketched out uh, that I have to finish, uh, finish up tonight, but I haven't even decided exactly what I'm going to finish up tonight so I won't even tell you what I'm working on in the immediate term um, but you can follow me on Twitter at Baseball4Brains and uh, at Baseball number 4 Brains and uh, yeah we'll, we're going to be staying very active throughout the off season there's always lots to talk about and in a year that uh, so many things went wrong like it did this year there's there should be plenty of change and lots of speculation so keep coming uh, back to the website and we'll keep you entertained.
2: Uh, yeah the same thing kind of with Chris we're doing uh the year in review for the players. Uh, hopefully we're going to do everybody on the roster before it's all said and done. I'm working on a piece tonight. I don't know if you guys heard, Daniel Webb died in a tragic ATV accident last night. Oh, boy.
1: He, oh, was, no, a Jay's,
2: he, was, he was a Jays farm, and he was drafted by the Jays, and then he uh, he ended up going to Chicago in the Jason Fraser deal. And he pitched, uh, I think, parts of four seasons with Chicago. but uh, So I'm going to have something that will... That'll uh, air tomorrow morning about him as a Blue Jay and uh, his unfortunate unfortunate death. Uh, other than that, that's about it. As far as the articles on the go, I can be reached on Twitter, at Clayton Rishay. And uh, and yeah, as Chris said, we've uh, we got a lot planned for the offseason, hopefully, and we're going to keep, uh, keep putting out quality content, and uh, hopefully uh, the readers will keep coming back.
0: I have no doubt. And again, you've been listening to site experts at jaysjournal.com. Chris Henderson, Clayton Richey, you can find their excellent work online. And we've got many, many more articles coming down the pipe during the offseason. And, of course, many, many more episodes of the Jays Journal podcast where you can find both of these brilliant gentlemen talking about what they enjoy most in life, which is the sport of baseball. And their beloved Toronto Blue Jays gentlemen, have a wonderful evening and thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys.